we're going to be continuing in our book of Joshua. We have been, uh, it's been exciting. Have you guys enjoying this so far? Yes. Amen. We're getting somewhere. It's exciting. So Joshua chapter 2 is where we were, where we started last week. And we did a, our message was called Spies Like Us. In Spies Like Us, we did kind of a character study of the three different kind of characters that showed up in the study. We first started with the two spies. Now the two spies, they were going to be sent into, um, to, to, into Canaan from the Israelite people. And what we found was we actually took a breakdown of these guys. And we looked at kind of, first of all, the uniqueness of these spies. What made them unique? was the fact that, well, they weren't sent out like the 12 that were supposed to do this broad kind of mission. These guys were individually sent out on a kind of a clandestine secret mission towards one specific target. Then we looked at what their destination was. The destination of the spies was they were supposed to go to Jericho. Okay, They were going to Jericho, this great walled city. And here they were supposed to infiltrate, work their way in. It was a, a fact-finding mission, a search mission. And then they were going to supposed to be back within three days to report back what they'd seen. Then we looked at the tactics of the spies. Well, the tactic was we know they went under the cover of night and we also know they went and they kind of created relationships, right? They found people that were sympathetic to their cause and that people would respond and actually help them. And they found one person in particular, a woman by the name of Rahab, who did respond and was sympathetic to their cause. And we looked at Rahab, who she was. And what happened with Rahab is we looked at, first of all, her sin. Rahab was a prostitute. She was caught up in sexual sin. And we also discussed the fact that she was a product of her environment. She was raised in a pagan nation. She didn't know how to do right, so she simply did what she knew to do to survive. And what we did was it actually brought us then to the willingness that she had, her willingness to trust God her willingness to receive these men. What we saw was the fact that God had this uh, desire in her heart that she had wanted, she wanted to know the Lord because the Lord had been working from afar to help her to realize that she needed God. She realized and could see her pagan nation and knew that it, had, it did not have what she wanted. She was dissatisfied with her results. And then what happened is uh, we looked at then, uh, now understand, one thing is important to understand, that every time God tries to work, Satan is always trying to counter that work. Now, that's, a, that's something that's just throughout Scripture. You're always, always going to see that case. Every time God takes a step forward, the devil tries to do a counterpoint or a counter or an attack. So we're finding here as she's trying to move forward that, of course, there's going to be a force to stop her. And that force was in the form of the, the king of Jericho. And here the king of Jericho. We looked at, first of all, really kind of what it was his objective. His objective was to make sure the people's, God's people did not get into his land, right? He wanted absolute control over his subjects, and he did not want the influence of God to work its way into his kingdom. And then that took us to his tactics. What did he do? Well, he would confront, right? We see this instance here in Joshua chapter, in chapter 2, verse 3. It says, And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee. Notice this is a command, which are entered into thine house, for they to come to search out all the country. So this is very accusatory. Bring the men out that are in your house, right? This is a confrontive measure. Because understand, he is dead set on maintaining control over his subjects. He is dead set on making sure that God has no influence in this place. And if God's influencing Rahab, boy, he needs to stop that right away. He needs to intimidate it out of her. And I want you to know that Satan's doing the very same thing. As the Rahabs of this world are searching out and looking for God, what's going to do? The devil's going to try to stop them. Every time you find a person who's searching for the Lord, he's going to give them all kinds of alternatives that are not truly God. What we'll find is he's always trying to subvert people. And as we went through this character study and we looked at them, what we did was we actually compared it to ourselves. We looked at the story and we said, well, how does, this, how does this fit us? And the believer, what the believer is, the believer's a picture, is pictured in these two spies. 
What's the spy's job? They're supposed to infiltrate a foreign nation, a nation that is hostile to them, a pagan nation. Our world has turned its back on God. And here we are. We're supposed to infiltrate that nation. Not just simply to go in and be a part of that nation, but we're supposed to go in there and share the truth. The message to those that are searching and seeking. They went and found Rahab. And what is Rahab? Rahab is a picture of the lost person who's seeking God. We know God was dealing with her heart. We know she had the fear of the Lord. And here the spies show up. And what happens? They somehow create a relationship. And what happens is she's then drawn to make a commitment, not only to protect them, but she commits to God as well through commitment to them. And then we look at Satan, right? A pictured in this king of Jericho. And what's his job? To do whatever he can to keep God away from people. In our society today, that is absolutely going on as we speak. People have turned their back on God, yet people still have the same questions they did before. They're seeking answers in all kinds of different places. But God's saying, hey, you know what? He's trying to send the messengers, those spies, in to reach the Rahabs of the world. And that enemy, man, I'm telling you what, he's going to be ever vigilant trying to stop the influence of God's people upon those that don't know God but that are seeking Him. So as we look at that as kind of our backdrop, right? We understand that's kind of where we're coming from as we're moving into this chapter number 2. We're going to be in verses 4 through 6. But what's happened to set the stage is that at this point in time, the spies are hidden, right? They came, she met them, they had a conversation, she hid them in her house, she's gone and done that. And now what's happened is the soldiers, or these king's men, whatever what you want to call them, they've been sent to confront her. And now they have arrived, they've confronted her. And what we're going to see today is we're going to see her response to their questions in our message today called, All Things Work Together for Good. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. And God, given us this opportunity where we can gather, Lord, to hear from you. God, no one's here to hear from me. I can tell you that much. And I know I don't want to hear from me. Lord, I just pray that uh, you can get me out of the way. Uh, Lord, uh, your wisdom is what we need. The word is what we need, God. So I pray that you'll speak to us. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us in a way, Lord, that will not only help us to hear, but Lord, help it to make a change in our hearts and lives. Help us to be shaped through your message today. Lord, I pray that you'll help us, God, to be more like you when we leave here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. It says, And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And I know we read a short little thing like that, and they're like, What? There's a whole message in that? Boy, there he is, let me tell you. There's a message in it, let me tell you. Uh, what we see we, from verse 5, we, already, we know from verse 5 that this is actually taking place. The doors of the city have already been closed. So everything's locked down for the night. We know that's gone on. Then in verse number 3, we also see the fact that these representatives are confronting here. Here they are. They're already suspicious. This is a confrontive time. And what happens? The woman took the two men and hid them. So understanding the fact that she has made a commitment. These king's men, while they're en route, she is literally hiding them while they're on the way to come get her. She's risking everything, everything she holds dear. These are the enemies of her people. They're coming to destroy her entire city. And she is befriending them, bringing them into her home, and she's hiding them. She is risking everything. This is an act of faith. An act of faith. And what we're going to see today as we look at this is we're going to look at two different aspects. The first one is this, her protection of the spies. 
her protection of the spies. And we look at this, understand what's happening now, understand at the same time while she's going to be protecting them, little does she know, she's actually protecting herself at the same time, which is really cool. She doesn't understand that, but she'll at one point in time, she will, she'll come to that realization. What we know so far is that these, somehow these, these spies met Rahab, they had a conversation with her, they told her who they were, they told her what they were there to do, and she said, well, you know, guess what? Let me tell you what God's doing in my life. I have a fear of the Lord, and you know what? I'm willing to bring you in. I'm willing to trust you, make a commitment to you. And what we see here is this is where it's so important, that work that God was doing in advance that we saw back in Exodus 23 where he said he was going to send his fear into the land. Well, she's been responding to that fear. Her family's been responding to that fear. So now whenever they come and speak to her, they're like, she's like, oh, I know exactly who you are. We've known you guys are coming for 40 years. We've been hearing the stories of your arrival. And what happens here is Rahab has a proper view of God because what she tells, tells us and what we find out is that she fears God. She fears God. She has a reverence for God. She sees Him the way that she should. And what happens here is she's willing to help them. Now, there would be no other reason for her to do this, right? If she did not fear God and there wasn't a reverence or a desire to know the Lord, there would be no reason for her to risk herself and her family. That would make no sense at all. What happens here is we see that this... Uh, she knows there's a coming judgment, okay? She realizes the fact that, guess what? My nation's in big trouble. There is coming a day when the God of the Israelites, this God that parted the Red Sea, this God that created, that did the plagues, that wiped out the kings that are just outside of our borders, that God is coming here. And she is in, she realizes it. And what she knows is this. These guys that I'm talking to right now, they're probably my only hope. They're my only hope because destruction is going to come. And we see this and we think, you know what? Man, she's right. But guess what? For our world, we're its only hope. There is no other plan to save the world. It's through the believers on this planet. We're to share the truth of who God is because I hate to break it to you. Judgment. Judgment is coming. This is a lost world and the inhabitants of this place. Our job is, like I said before, not to infiltrate and just be a part of this world, which is what it's easy, but it's to stand for the truth. It's to confront sin, not to point fingers at people in judgment, but to lovingly let people know, hey, guess what? There's, there's coming a day when your choices are going to come back to haunt you. And there's a God that loves you. And because He loves you, you don't have to face what's to come. Amen. You have an opportunity, a way out. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Right? So we know that death is coming for all people, but also there's a judgment coming for all people. And see, with the world we have today, people aren't so cool with the judgment part. They're like, you know what, I'd like to leave that part off. I know death is coming, but you know what, I'm just going to just not think about it. But what happens is, we get reminded of it. Right? We lose someone in our family. We're reminded of death. We see something happen catastrophic and people die and we, we're reminded of the fact that, guess what? This finite time that I have on earth is going to come to an end. Yes. And what does that do? It makes people think, well, if this is coming to an end, what's, what's next? What's next? This is a Rahab kind of moment where you're thinking, hey, what's out there? And this is where you and I come in, just like the spies. This is where we come in as people are searching. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 20. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by, by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us, listen to this, given to us 
the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling this world. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God has given us a mission. He's given us a mission. He's given us a ministry. And he's given us the word of reconciliation. Hey, we want to reconcile this broken world to God. We'll do it through his word. People respond to the word of God, the spirit of God working in them. Verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. Listen to this. As if God literally sent us, for, sent us for you, we pray you in Christ's stead. Standing here in his stead, if he was here, he would say this to you. Be reconciled. Amen. Right? Amen. Be reconciled unto God. Yeah. Right? Be reconciled. That's what he's saying. Hey, guess what? I got a mission for you guys. You need to go out and tell this lost world that guess what? There's a way out. Amen. The judgment is coming. Death is going to be a part of their life. But boy, oh boy. Be an ambassador. Be a spy, man. Go into this pagan nation and let them know that death is coming. But so is judgment. And see, it's a reality that most people don't want to face. But it is absolutely a reality. Be ye reconciled to God. And because she believes these men, she hides them in her home. The most vulnerable place she has. And while she's protecting them, literally... <laughs> from discovery in this moment. What's happening is literally, is she's protecting them? Yes, but in the same time, she's protecting herself and her family from what is to come. And she's showing that she's trusting in these men and trusting in God. So we see the protection of both Rahab and the spies happening in the same time. We also understand the fact that the soldiers have arrived. Okay, So here they've arrived. And so she's upstairs throwing the flax on them. She's quiet, right? All freaked out. She's upstairs trying to get herself in. All of a sudden she hears, you know, Reb, Reb, oh, coming down the steps. You know, and I'm imagining kind of one of those scenes from a movie, you know, when people come through, come through the room, they're like, oh, okay, oh, sorry. I was just in the bathroom or something. I'm not sure what I was doing. I was like, you know, whoo, but can I help you? What's up? Right? And they're like, okay, Rahab, what's going on? Tell us about these guys. She says this. And thus saith there, there came men unto me, and, but I wist not whence they were. So it says, a couple strangers walked up. I mean, I, uh, I don't know the guys who they were. I don't know anything about them, really. And then they, 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 she continues. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate there, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I would not pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. She says, look, I, the same guys that I saw them, I don't really know who they were, but you know what I saw? that I, well, I think when they were closing the gates, I look and I saw the same two guys slip out the door. So if you guys hustle up right now, I bet you can catch them. They were heading in that direction, I'm pretty sure. Go out and get them, guys. Oh, thanks, lady. Right? So, they, they, so we've seen, first of all, her protection of them, but then what we see next is her deception for them. And this is where a lot of people get tripped up because she's lying. Straight up. She doesn't say anything is true. That's all made up. She's lying straight up. She deliberately lies to these men. And there's where people have a struggle theologically. They're like, well, God's okay with lying? And the thing is, and I'm going to show you how it all works. Because what happens in the New Testament, what we find is we find Rahab's honored. Right? You'll see in the book of James. you see in the book of Hebrews. If you find her, she's Rachab in the book of Matthew chapter 1. She's in the line of Christ. But here she is, lying, right? So what we see is the fact that God's not okay with lying, but I'm going to explain to you and show you how. Here's the first one of the references that we're going to look at in James chapter 2, verses 24 through 26 that mentions Rahab. It starts like this. 
He says, ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Okay? Now, those of us that say, hey, you know, you're saved by faith and faith alone. And all of a sudden you read that verse and you go, whoa, 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 justified. Just, and now you've heard the phrase, just as if I've never sinned. Right? So this is referencing salvation. And he says, not by faith only. So he says here that your salvation is based upon your works and your faith is what it's saying. And we go, whoa, 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 how does that make sense? That doesn't make sense to me. But listen, yes, justified does mean just as if I never failed, just like as if I never sinned. But justified also means validate. Validate, okay? So we understand this. Read it. Now we go to verse 25. Likewise, similarly, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? Was her faith not validated by the fact that she did what she did? She didn't just say she believed. She took action. Her works proved her faith. And that's the thing I'm going to point out to you and show you biblically today that our faith is truly, our salvation is through faith. It is not works. Our faith is revealed in our works. So what we see here is the fact that there's no mention, again, in this reference, there's no mention of her deception. We only see what she does right. We don't see what she does wrong. And we'll touch that in a little while. James 2.26 says this as it continues. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Here's the qualifier. Okay? And what's really interesting is the fact that James does not use physical death as his example. He uses spiritual death because he realizes that's a whole lot more severe than physical death. And what he references here is he said, look, this spiritually dead person, their faith is just like uh, the works of someone who uh, says, you know, your faith without works is dead also. So what he's telling us is this. If you have work, if you have works and there's no faith, there's a, there's a problem. But if you have faith and there's no works, there's a problem as well. Because what happens is your, your faith is displayed in us. If you have the saving faith of Jesus Christ that changes you and you dwell with the Spirit of God lives within you, then you cannot help but have it come out of you. That's just the result. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. Right? You're going to see it. We're going to go to Matthew 7. And we're going to look at Jesus talking about this. He goes, how do you identify somebody who's got real faith or not? Let me tell you guys how you see it. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 7, 15 through 23. Beware of false prophets. Okay? Those that profess themselves, they look, like they're, they look like the real deal, but they're not. Which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Okay? They look the part. They sound the part. Remember back when we were in, in, in 2 Corinthians 11? And we talked about those people that were sent by Satan and it called them ministers of righteousness? Right. They appear as ministers of righteousness? So they can look the part. They can sound the part. They can dress the part. But then their life, he says, you know, inwardly, you can't see it. Outwardly, guess what? They look like a sheep. They look like a shepherd. But inside, they're a ravening wolf. Verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Okay, here we go. Fruits of the Spirit. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So is the wrong plants giving the wrong fruit? That doesn't make sense, right? Their actions, their lifestyle, the choices that they make, the works of their life will reveal who they really are. And what we find is the fact that here so many people, just based, people just say, hey, I'm a Christian. But we look at their life. Is there any indication of that? Or we see the fruit that is ungodly. And someone's claiming to walk with the Lord. It does not make sense. It says this, verse 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth not evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Right. 
Every tree, listen to this, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down. Okay, so this is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Anyone who does not have the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God does not dwell within them. They are not a born-again child of God. Listen. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. That's talking about judgment. The ultimate judgment. The lake of fire. And those that are not saved, that is their impending doom. Not because God wants it for them, but because you know what? They're caught up in their works. They're trying to work their way to heaven instead of going by way of Christ. Verse 20 says this, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Look at their life. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now what's the will of the Father? Hey man, guess what? Keep the commandments of God. He says in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Let your life display me. If you are truly mine, you'll look like mine. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, this is, this is one of the most jarring, frightening, awful verses when you read it and you really understand what it means. Because this is talking about people that have committed themselves to false religions. And I'm talking, man, they are sold out. They're given their all. They're doing all that they possibly can to honor God through the religion. Many will say to me in that day, now if you've been in this church for any period of time, you know that that day, that day is always a reference to the judgment. That's what this is talking about. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? Notice that phrase again and again. In thy name. In thy name. Speaking to Jesus, have we not in Jesus' name done these many wonderful works? Does the Jehovah's Witness come to your door? Will they use Jesus' name? Yes, they will. Will a Mormon use Jesus' name? Yes, they will. But you know what? Do they have saving faith in Jesus Christ? They do not. They're not trusting in Christ. And what we find is these are people that have done many wonderful works. They're saying, look, all the things that the people of the world were to judge it, what would they say? Man, those are some wonderful works you've done. What's his response? Verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Your religious works in my eyes are evil. Because you did not put your faith in me. You put your faith in your works. And your works-based Religion doesn't draw you closer to me. In fact, it was the very thing that separated us because it built your pride and it made you think that you were somehow righteous when in reality, all of your righteousness appears filthy rags before the Lord. And God looks through us and he says, you know what? Faith is only by me. There is one righteous, only one. And you will receive faith. You will receive Christ through me. John 1, 12 through 13 says this, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born, listen, not of blood. It's not a physical birth. We're not born into the family of God, nor of the will of the flesh. This is talking about the works, the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, not because we just want it, not because someone wants it for us, but of God. We're saved because He loves us enough to offer us salvation through His death, burial, and resurrection. He came and did what we could not 
do. He didn't save us through our works, but He did save us to display His works through our lives. That's why we're here. That's the whole point. Hebrews 11.31, speaking of Rahab, says this, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Okay, By faith she received them. And what happened? She proved her faith in the fact that she received the spies with peace. So it wasn't what she did. All that did was validate what she believed. By faith. By faith. In Joshua 2.11, she's going to say it this way. Joshua 2.11, this is a, the portion from when Rahab responds to the spies. For the Lord your God, listen to what she says, He is God. Amen. He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She has a proper view of God. She sees Him for who He is, man. She's reverential before the Lord. She's broken before Him. She sees that who she is, all of this understanding, she's rooted in this fear of God, and it shows her that there's a loving God who could simply could restore her. And so she's got some hope, man, and she sees hope in these men. Now, most certainly, she lied. And that's wrong. Absolutely. Again, in no understand. In no way does God condone her lying. All he does is weave her lying into his plan to protect these spies, to save the spies, but also, guess what? To save her. She doesn't even realize it. So you see, Rahab, uh, what's happened is she's put herself in a place. Now, she lives in a place where lying is an everyday part of life, right? You live in a pagan culture. You're not surrounded by people that are trying to do godly things. You're surrounded by people that just do what works, what, what feels good. So that's kind of the world that she's coming from. So we can understand why this is kind of the mindset that she has. She doesn't have the standards of God. So what happens is she does what seems to fit. And what's interesting, people go, well, what if she hadn't lied? What about the poor spies? Don't you think God could have protected the spies? Yeah. I mean, they could have gone up and pulled back the flax and been like, huh. God could have made them invisible, right? He could have turned them into flax. He could have done, you know, Jedi mind trick, whatever. He could do something to them, right? So he could certainly protect them. It wasn't that at all. So what we find is the fact that, you know, she doesn't have the experience to trust that God could do something like that. So she just goes, well, you know what? I guess it's a situation where I'm just going to have to do what i got to do. So I'm going to protect these men. I'm going to do whatever it takes, and I'm going to lie. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good for those that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And I want you to pay attention to the fact that, yes, God does take her lie and he does use it. But he doesn't really do it for her sake. He actually is doing it for the spies. Okay? Because I want you to break down this verse with me. Look at it in Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good. We love that part. Man, yes. All things work together for good. Yay! Mm -hmm. Now there's a qualifier. <clears throat> to them that love God. Mm -hmm. To them, same people, who are the called according to his purpose. Wow. Okay? So he gives a qualifier there. All things work together for good for these people. Not for everybody, for these people. Now, if we think about this, people that are called according to his purpose. I think it's hard to find people that are more qualified than these two spies. Wow. I mean, hello? Chosen out of millions of people, two specific individual men who were chosen and said, hey, you know what? You're going to be sent out. We're sending you into Jericho in advance. Go do this thing. And what happens? Man, we look at this and we go, you know, why them? Well, I would certainly assume that they love God. I would certainly assume, based upon the fact that they were chosen out of all the millions, that they want to complete, uh, they have complete faith in God, and that they're committed to fulfilling God's, God's plan. These men are sold out to do God's will. We know all things work together for good for, those that, for them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. These two men 
are called to his purpose. They are called to fulfill God's will and they're risking their lives. Because I can promise you, they wouldn't be held captive. They would be killed if they were found. You see, God didn't excuse her dishonesty. And this is key. He does not excuse her dishonesty. He simply uses it as a part of the plan. Now, as I mentioned before, as it's mentioned in, in, in Scripture in the New Testament, we notice that there's no mention of her sin, of her lie. It's only her trust in God, her willingness to believe God. And there's a reason why, uh, that God doesn't remind us of her sin. And it's the very same reason that He doesn't remind us of our sin. Right? right? He doesn't record our sin. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12 say it this way. He that hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He didn't give us what we deserve. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. See, this is what forgiveness looks like. This is forgiveness right here. See, forgiveness, someone who's been forgiven isn't reminded of their failure. They're not bludgeoned with their failure time and time and time again the way we do to one another. When we forgive somebody, it's gone. They're set free. And that's what God does for us, man. He sets us free. If we chain ourselves to our past, that's our choice. It's not the reality. God has set us free. He paid the price of what we have lived and what we have done. Amen. And when He looks at us, guess what? He no longer sees our sin. He sees the blood of our Savior. The Bible says that our sin is written in crimson, man. It's written in red. If you pour red blood over crimson writing, you see nothing but blood. The blood of Christ. When He looks at our unrighteousness, He sees the righteousness of Christ. Amen. How beautiful is that? How amazing is that? So why does he not beat her up with her past? Because guess what? He doesn't see it anymore. Jeremiah. Thirty-one, thirty-four says this. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Isaiah 1.18 says this, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sin be as scarlet, it shall be as white as snow. Though your sin be like crimson, it shall be white as wool. Right? It shall be as wool. Hebrews 10, 17 says this, And their sins and iniquities I remember no more. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And guys, Rahab is a picture of the lost soul. Yes. It's a beautiful thing. She doesn't know how to live godly. She has no clue. But she wants to. We see based upon what she do. She, what, what she do? What she do. She wants to. What she does. <laughs> And in response to her heart, what happens? God sends two men to reach her. She's in the midst of a pagan nation. God sends people right to her, to her house. How awesome is that? Verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof. This is in the past. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. So these guys lay down. She lays the stuff over them and hides them. Now, she not only receives them, but she commits herself to their mission. Right? But little does she know that she is their mission. Amen. When you read this scripture, you realize 
that they will gain nothing. There's no special intelligence that they bring back from this mission. They don't come back and go, there's a hole in the wall over on the right-hand side. Nope. There's nothing like that. Because guess what? God's going to handle it. Amen. Why are they there? Amen. Not to gain information, not to learn, to reach Rahab, man. How cool is that? Look how much God is willing to do to reach this broken person who's looking for God. Only she and her family will be spared. Joshua 6.17 says this. As Joshua is saying, what's going to happen? As you're getting ready to take the city. And the, shi and, the, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. God sent those, sent those spies to give Rahab a way of escape from a culture of destruction that she was trapped in. How incredible is that? What a picture of the lost soul. What a picture of us. If we remember the day when we received Christ, man, that's where we were. We were caught up in a pagan nation surrounded by this destruction. We finally saw for what it was, and we saw sin for what it was, and we saw ourselves for what we were, and we said, oh, my word. Remember Psalm 103. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. What did Rahab going for? She feared God. That's it. That's all she had. Other than that, she was a mess. Her life was a wreck. She was a, a picture of, of sin. Yet God says, hey, I hear that call. I hear your cry. And I will respond. She didn't know much, but she feared God. And because of her heart, God sent these men to reach her. And it's her willingness to hear the message. It's her willingness to commit herself to the men as well as the man, the one they represent, God. And remember what it said about Jericho in that verse we just read in Joshua 6, 17. It says, And the city shall be accursed, it and all that are therein. Jericho is a picture of the world. It's a picture of the world. And what do we see? We see a place that is accursed. All of its inhabitants are also accursed. And even it and all that are therein. This fallen world and its fallen inhabitants, guess what? They will not survive. Not one. You see, God's judgment is coming. It's coming upon sin and it's coming upon all mankind. Romans 2 verses 5 through 6 is this. But after thy hardness... This is speaking of the, of, of the lost world. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, an unwilling heart, to unwilling to change or turn, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, you are storing up the wrath of God against you and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Man, that's a sobering truth, but it's a truth. And that's the sad truth. And the fact that this world, no matter what, its time is running out. But even though its time is running out, God is still extending His mercy. Mm -hmm. He's still extending His mercy out to this world. The Rahabs of the world. Those that are consumed by sin, broken by the world, used and abused. And guess what? <laughs> He's extending this immeasurable mercy and grace. And it's through this, through the missteps of this individual. It's through their failures. It's through their sins that God's still working. See, we think people are throwaways, that there's no hope. But that's not true of anyone. You have someone in your life, someone in your family, that you feel like just giving up on. You know what? They're a lost cause. 
Let me just tell you, there are no lost causes. If they will turn their heart, God will receive them. He wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. I don't care who they are or how hateful they've been or how hurtful they've been to you or the things that they've done wrong. It does not matter. See, the problem is God wants to reach them. And what's happened is he's calling people to go reach them. The problem is fewer and fewer are going. And that's our problem. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That right there is not just talking about me. It's talking about us. That's someone who will proclaim the gospel message to someone else. That's what it's talking about. Is that us? Is that what our life says? Does our life proclaim the gospel? Do our words proclaim the gospel? Where do we fit in? Because guess what? This world is a curse, whether or not we want to realize it or not. And time is running out. And when it comes to an end, we'll have nothing but regrets for the things that we did not do. The time is now. Christian, are we willing to risk ourselves to trust God and to reach out to the Rahabs of this world? They're everywhere. They're all around us. Look how far God was willing to go to reach her. Look how far God was willing to go to reach you. There was a time in your life when you knew not God, where you stood in opposition to Him, where your life was reprehensible to Him, and yet He saw you right where you were. He saw you in the midst of your most awful, most horrific, most godless moment. And even with those eyes seeing exactly what we're doing and the intention of our heart, as wicked as it was, he said, I love them. I love them. I sure wish they would turn. Because if they would turn to me and they would open their arms, I would gather them into my arms and I would restore them. Well, you know that the Rahabs of the world today are crying out. And in response to their cry, God is compelling us to go, right? Their life, man, it may be a mess. It may be eat up with sin. It may be disgusting to us. But who are we to judge? <laughs> in their time of life when somebody would step up and said, oh, that's you, buddy. You're like, oh, snap, you're right. Dang. Because so many times we forget who we were. Right? We forget where we come from. Hello? I was a guy who was going to bust hell wide open, man. Boosh! Explosion of fire. No doubt about it. Not that I was worse than anybody else, but hey, man, I just lived based upon my flesh. I didn't know any better. I was a Rahab who did not know God. But thankfully, someone sent someone to our home. Amen. And those two people poured their heart into us, and they told us who Christ was. And through seeing a clear view of God, man, it showed me who I was. It showed my wife who she was. And that might, man, August 11, 2001, we fell on our knees before the Lord, broken, and said, you know what, God, I know who I am, and I know who you are. I know you are the only way. And by faith, we trusted Him, and it changed our eternity. And that's the thing people can receive. So if we've heard this message, we've seen Rahab's protection, and we've seen her deception. But what's through both of those, what do we see? We see her heart. She did wrong, but she was trying to do right. <laughs> and God says, you know what? Hey, grace, mercy, I've got a plan for you, Rahab. Because one day, a baby's going to be born. Guess what? You will be the bloodline that will bring the Savior to the world. How incredible is that? The mercy 
and the grace of God to take a harlot liar and make her the lineage of Christ. Did she do right? No, absolutely not. But God still extended her mercy. And because of the faithful servants that were where they were supposed to be, God honored the situation. He works all things together for good for those that love God, that are called according to his purpose. That was the spies. And guess what? He used it. And we see here our world, our sinful world, as we interact with this sinful world. Understand, God has a plan to reach it. God has a plan to reach those that are broken. And it's us. Last week, again, we talked about every time we try to do something for God, the devil will try to do something to stop us. But to understand, even in the midst of all that's going on, God is still working. And no matter what challenges he'll throw up, understand, it's not unusual if you're trying to reach someone in your family that there's tribulation. It's not unusual that there'll be challenges. It's not unusual that you'll suffer through some type of issues in that situation. But what you've got to realize is through loss, failure, uh, defeat, whatever, deceit, whatever it is, God can still work. God can take things that don't make any sense. And we look at it and go, what purpose could there possibly be for this? And yet God says, you know what? I'll show you. I'll show you. It's amazing. Many times we can look back in our lives in the most horrific moments. And we can see in retrospect how God actually used it to teach us, to shape us, to develop us. Romans 5 says, tribulation worketh patience, patience, experience, experience, hope. So God takes this awful situation where we felt so broken. And as Paul so beautifully tells us, God says, I made strong in your weakness. When you're broken, I can really use you. But when you're all strengthened and restored, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Because now i got to deal with your pride. Shattered people are wonderful tools for the Lord. How many of us have ever been shattered before? Amen, man. Amen. Praise the Lord. Shattered in a million pieces. And what does he do? He takes those pieces and he restores them. And he says, don't forget where you come from. Don't become a judge. Become an ambassador. So when you meet the Rahabs of the world, you don't judge her. You see her as a soul desperate for God. And that's our job. That's our mission. Hebrews 11.31 By faith the harlot perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Guys, in this scenario, we're either supposed to go reach the Rahabs or we are the Rahabs. I don't know which one you are. I have no clue. But let me tell you this. No matter which one you are, God's calling. He's calling you to go. He's calling you to come. Whichever it is. And then we look at situations in our life and we go, this chaotic mess, this frightening circumstance that these spies, man, understand, they're upstairs here in the, let us in, Rahab, let us in. They're going, oh man, what's going on? She's scared to death. Everything's on the line. This is a moment of tension and fear and all this stuff. And yet, what's God doing? I'm going to work all things together for good. How incredible is the Lord? That he can take situations that we don't understand and we don't need to understand. Because in the end, what is it? What are we called to? Be faithful. You just trust me. Know that I got it all under control. I see it all. There's nothing happening right now that I don't have my hand on. And if something comes along and you don't like it, understand. One day, maybe not even on earth, but one day, 
you're going to look into your life and say, wow, if not for that hard turn in that moment that I always hated so much, this would have never happened. And this was why I was here. Imagine that. All things work together for good. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. God, for giving us the Word of God, the truth, the incredible story of Rahab and what you've done to the spies. And Lord, most importantly, the hero of the story, you. God, you are so mighty, so powerful, so good. Thank you, Lord, for the work you're doing in our lives. Lord, help us to be brokenhearted for the Rahabs of the world. And Lord, I pray that you help us, God, to be ever ready, tracks in hand, a willingness to speak. Help us, Lord, to share the truth of who you are with this broken world. And for the Rahabs of the world, if that's who you are, if you're that one today and you say, you know what, I'm here, but not because I'm supposed to go, I'm supposed to come. Because I, I feel God calling me. Like I said, August 11th, 2001, about 10 o'clock at night, we sat, slipped off the couch onto our knees and received Jesus Christ as our Savior. And it changed our everything. If you're here today and that's where you are, you go, you know what? I fear God. I want to know Him. I want a relationship with Him. Except what? He's reaching out to you. It's not what you'll do. It's not the works of this life. It's not the, the faith that we have in, in religion, but it's who we trust in Christ and Christ alone. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. And if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, today is your day. You could be watching some recording. I don't care if this is 100 years from now and you're watching this on a space station or something like that. God's calling you. And guess what? All you have to do is respond. He's calling you as we speak. And to respond, all you have to do is know that you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from a mighty, holy God and that He loves you in spite of your sin. And like Rahab, He's gone to the ends of the world to reach you. He came to this earth, He lived, He died, and He resurrected for your sake. And right now, He's calling your heart, and all you have to do is respond. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what it says. It's a promise from God. If you want to receive Him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a ceremony. This is a heart of a broken person reaching out to the heart of God who's lovingly ready to receive them. If that's you, in your heart and your mind, I'm going to lead you in prayer. It won't be the words that'll save you. It'll be the intention of your heart. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me. Speak to the Lord. You're not speaking to me. You're speaking to Him. And if you don't mean it, it'll do nothing for you. But if you truly want to receive Christ, this is your moment. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my life, for the choices I've made, and for the broken mess that I've created. I know that you love me in spite of myself. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I love you. Thank you for loving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.